Amen. All right. As you are sitting down, let's get that turned on. As you are sitting down, if you need a Bible or a notebook, that awesome guy with the sunglasses that's walking out right now, he can help you out. He's got Bibles. He's got notebooks. In case you want to take some notes tonight, go back and look over what we talked about. Brock, we can turn that down just a little bit now. <clears throat> Make sure you grab those. Um, I think I told you this already, but I missed you guys last week. How, I don't know about you guys, um, but like as I was sitting home all day Wednesday last week, not knowing what the storm was going to be, it kind of felt like 2020 when the world shut down again. Did anybody else feel like that? Was that just me? Okay, there's one or two of you that felt like that. So I, I started thinking about how we did Wednesday nights when the world was shut down. We would broadcast on Instagram from our living room or from our the, the piano room in our house. And um, like everybody was logging on and we were still having worship, which was amazing that we could still do that even when we couldn't be together. So that reminds me how much I appreciate being able to be here with you guys. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I appreciate being here with you guys tonight. So tonight, we are going to continue in our study of the book of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to finish that chapter tonight, starting in verse 18. So as we jump into it, you guys know that are normally here, you know that I like to walk through some questions, because anytime you study a book of the Bible, you need to know some basic things about that book, just so you have an understanding of when it was written, why it was written, what's going on during that time. So who do we believe wrote the book of 1 John? John. John, okay. Who do we think wrote the other, or what other books do we, do we know that he wrote or believe that he wrote? Revelation. Revelation. John. Wait, what did you say? The other two Johns? So Revelation, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. The other two Johns, yes. <laughs> One, two, and three John, allegedly. That's right. That technically... What? Yeah, thank you. Good job, Tara. That's exactly right. We, we, don't, we know that these, hey, these three books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, technically, they're anonymous. But as scholars have studied those books, they see similarities in the writings and the phrases and the approach to what is being written. So that's why they've been credited to John, who wrote the other book of John and Revelation. When do we believe this was written? Around 90 to 95 AD, yes, a long time ago. That's always the right answer. We try to get a little more specific. Who was this book written to? Christians, the church. This was written to believers, people like you who were in church. Now, they didn't meet in church like we meet in church. Um, back then, the New Testament church, that was really more house churches with much smaller groups, especially when it became illegal to meet in churches. Um, but he's writing to church people. And do you remember what the main idea or main ideas of this book are? No, go ahead, JD, from the sound booth. Truth, obedience, and love. That's exactly right. As you walk through this book, you see those same three main ideas, those same three themes popping up over and over again. In fact, tonight we're going to continue talking about love because that's what John's been talking about in chapter 3. And why was this book written? Does anybody remember? To warn and encourage. That's exactly right. Remember that whole warning part goes back. She's celebrating in the sound booth. She's getting them all right. That whole warning part goes back to a, a belief system that was going around at that time, which is still around today called Gnosticism, which is a really weird word to say because it starts with the letter G and then goes to the letter N, but the G silent. It's Gnosticism. And here's the basic belief, okay? There's a lot of other things you can get into, but in Gnosticism, what they believed is spiritual was good, physical was bad. 
Now, on the surface, that sounds right, doesn't it? Because it's our bodies, it's our cravings, it's our desires that cause us to do the wrong thing with our bodies and disobey God. So, yeah, okay, body's bad. But here's how far that belief went. It went to the extent that if, if spiritual is good and physical is bad, and Jesus is only good, he can't be sinful, he can't be bad, then Jesus didn't have a physical body. And if Jesus didn't have a physical body, then the crucifixion never happened. You see the problem with that belief system? You've got to be careful when you see things that look like they're, they sound about right on the surface, but when you actually dig into them, they go way off track from what Scripture says. And that is a belief that was starting to invade the church in that area. So that's why John's writing against that to help them understand, don't follow those false teachers. But he's also trying to encourage them of, hey, if you're not supposed to do this, here's what you are supposed to do. Here's the good thing. Here is what you are supposed to pursue. And that's what he's talking about tonight. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And I goofed. I didn't get anybody um, to come up here and read this tonight. So I'm just going to read it for us tonight. Okay. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not, excuse me, if our heart's heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you again for who you are. We thank you that we can come together tonight, that we can spend time in this book as we've been walking through it and see who it is you've called us to be how you've called us to live lives as believers of obedience, pursuing truth, living in your love, and showing that love to other people. And God, I pray that you'll help us to, to walk away from tonight different because we've been in your presence and we've been in your word. Help us to live obediently to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all go ahead and have a seat. So two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of love as we walked through kind of the middle of 1 John chapter 3. And what we talked about, because what we saw there is the idea that this love John is writing about, when you understand and have the love of God in your life, and the love of God flows out of your life, you love other people the way that God loves other people, it benefits their lives. You following God, you being obedient to his word, you living in his love allows the love of God to flow out of you. And it's something that makes other people's lives better. And as we walk through that, we saw all of those ways that it makes it better. But tonight, as we come to the end of this chapter, John kind of shifts his approach a little bit. He goes from talking about how the love of God coming through you makes the lives of others around you better. And he shifts to, here's how the love of God benefits your own life. And that, that, that's something that we need to know. That's something that we need to pay attention to. And as we walk through this, we're going to see three different ways that you, if you sit here tonight and you say you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know what he did on the cross. He died for your sins. You know that you've put your faith and trust in him. You've asked him to forgive you. And you know that he is your savior. If you are here tonight, 
then this love that God's talking about, this love that John's writing about, there's a benefit to your life from that. And the first thing we see as we step into verse 18 is this. The first benefit in your life is that you can know that you have assurance of your salvation. Because of God's love in your life and you living obediently and loving others the way God has called you to as a disciple of Jesus, you can be assured of your own salvation. Look at what it says in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this... We shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So what John has just done is he summed up everything that he talked about in the previous passage that we looked at two weeks ago. He summed it up there right in verse 18. He says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. He says, if you say you have the love of God in your life, then the love of God should flow out of you, not just with words of, hey, God loves you. Hey, peace, it's okay. God's gonna take care of you. He's saying, don't just give the words. You've gotta actually do something with that love. I, I quoted a song a couple weeks ago, a really old song, believe it or not, it's from the 20th century, um, a really old song. And the, the line of the song was, love isn't love until you give it away. It doesn't mean anything until you actually do something with it. And that's what John is talking about right here in verse 18. And he says, when we do that, we know that we belong to God. It reassures us. It affirms in our hearts that we're pursuing Jesus. Because there's going to be times where you may have doubt in your heart. Do I really belong to God? Has Jesus really forgiven me? And, and that's, unfortunately, probably more normal than it is not. A lot of people have doubts like that. But what he's telling us here is that you can have assurance. You don't have to doubt that. And in fact, the way that he references it here in verse 20, he says, whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever you wonder, whenever you doubt, a condemning heart is one that robs you of peace. It's one that robs you of the confidence that you know that you belong to God. Now, I'm going to destroy many, especially you girls, of your childhood idea of what Disney has taught you. Disney has taught you to follow what? Your dreams, your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. Ladies and gentlemen, your heart is a moron. It's stupid. And I'm just, I'm just going to say that. Hey, I'm paraphrasing scripture. Listen to what it says. Jeremiah 17, 9. Listen, listen. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So follow your dreams. Trust your heart. Go where your heart leads you. Don't do that. Pursue Christ. Because your heart's going to lie to you. Every one of you knows what this looks like. Because at one point in time, even as a kid, you had a toy that you just had to have. And nothing would do until you had that toy. Nothing was right in your world until it was yours and you could hold it and you could possess it and you could use it and it was yours and life was amazing when you got it. And you probably have no idea where that toy is right now. You know why? Yeah, some of you do. Some of y'all are weird. It's okay. <laughs> hey, my kids are the same way. I do understand that. But for most of us, hey, the heart changes. Some of you that are in here in high school, some of you that are in middle school, which this shouldn't be the case yet, you've had multiple boyfriends or girlfriends already. Why? 
Why? Because a month ago you were in love with somebody and last week you don't love them anymore. You know why? Because the heart changes. Hey, guys, ladies, that's why you can't trust your heart. That's why John writes right here. He says, whenever our hearts condemn us, he goes on to say, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. If our heart lies to us, if our conscience, if our desires change and it's not truthful even with us, there's gonna be times that if we say we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, where your heart's gonna say, no, he didn't really forgive you. No, what, what you've done, what you've said, there's no way God could forgive you for that. There's no way that whole salvation thing was real in your life because of who you've been in the past or what you've been pursuing now. And your heart condemns you. Your heart begins to lie to you. And yet he says right there, when that happens, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. And if you ever wonder if that's true, you simply have to look at another passage in the New Testament. You got a guy by the name of Peter. And if you're not familiar with the story of who Peter is, Peter was one of the disciples. He was one of the 12. And yet Jesus told him, Peter, when I'm arrested, you're gonna deny that you even knew me three different times. And he does that. In the, in the book of Matthew, I won't read the whole passage, but in Matthew 26, 69 through 75, you read the account of where people come to Peter. Jesus has been arrested and this whole, this whole mockery of a trial is going on. And they come to him and they say, hey, you were with him, weren't you? And he says, no. Wait, hold on. Weren't you with him? Don't you know him? And three different times he says, no, I never knew him. Three different times. And as you read through the different accounts of the gospel in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every single one of us tell us this, that as soon as he denied Jesus for the third time, as soon as he fulfilled the words of Jesus, it says he wept bitterly. Because in that moment, his heart condemned him. Because he had been walking with Jesus. He had been following Jesus. He had trusted Jesus. And he had denied that he even knew Jesus. That whole wept bitterly. I, I'm, I'm picturing an ugly cry. Some of y'all know what an ugly cry looks like. I mean, like shoulders shaking, snot running down your lips. I mean, it's nasty. That's what I'm picturing here when he talks about an ugly cry because his heart, his conscience would condemn him for that betrayal. But if you look over at the book of Acts in Acts chapter 3, something's different. Acts chapter 3, Peter is speaking to a crowd after healing a man. And in verse 13, listen to what he says. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses." Peter's talking to this crowd and he's saying, hey, you guys are the ones that denied him. You're the ones that said you didn't know who he was. What did Peter do? He did the exact same thing. He's calling out this crowd, telling them the things that they had done wrong, and yet isn't he being hypocritical here? Because if he's saying you denied Jesus, you're the one that killed him, when he's the one that denied him three times... But see, he can say this because he's got confidence. 
He's got confidence in who God has called him to be because he is no longer condemned by his own heart. He's resting in the knowledge that Jesus has forgiven his sin and he knows who he belongs to. We know that because there's an interaction between Jesus and Peter in John chapter 21 where Jesus comes to Peter and he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. This is after the denial. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. He says again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Tells him the same thing. Peter, for a third time, do you love me? And Peter's like, Jesus, I've answered you. You know that I love you. And what Jesus is doing in that situation is he's forgiving Peter three times for all three denials. And right then and there, Peter's released from the condemnation of his own heart. He's released from the guilt that comes with what he knows that he did. Jesus doesn't condemn Peter for his actions here. What he does is he forgives Peter and tells him to be faithful and carry out the purpose Jesus has given to him. Guys, that's a powerful reminder for us when our heart would condemn us. When you don't feel worthy of God, when, when you don't feel like you're good enough or feel like you've messed up so badly again that you can't look at who God is and you don't think you can earn his love and earn his grace, what you have to remember is the same thing Jesus reminded Peter of is that your salvation doesn't rest in you. It rests in what Christ has done for you. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You can't lose your salvation because if you could, you would have already lost it. Jesus is the one who works. Jesus is the one who gave his life. And if God has forgiven you, you're forgiven and set free to pursue who he's created you to be. That's why in Romans 8, verse 31, it says this, what then shall we say about or to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When when you love others the way God calls you to love them, you demonstrate that you belong to God because you are incapable of that kind of love on your own. It's an assurance of your own salvation. Because that kind of love coming through you to other people is only possible if you have experienced salvation of your sin through Jesus Christ. He's forgiven you if you've put your faith and trust in him. And when you doubt that, just look to what Jesus has already done, not what you've done. That kind of love benefits your life because it gives you assurance of your own salvation. But that's not the only benefit. The other benefit we see here in this passage is we see answered prayer. Look at what it says in verse 21. It says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That's simply saying, if you know that you belong to God, then you have freedom to approach God with confidence in worship and in prayer. Hebrews chapter 19 says, or chapter 10, verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
The only reason that any of us can come before God, that we can talk to God, that we have an expectation that God will hear us, God will care about us, is because of what Jesus has done. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So if you put your faith and trust in Jesus because of that salvation that you have, you can approach God knowing that he hears you. You can approach God with confidence when you have prayers that you want to bring before him. Now, let me make sure we don't walk away thinking something that this passage doesn't say. This passage is not communicating something we call the prosperity gospel. That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and this is something that some people teach, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he's going to give you everything you could ever want. In fact, the phrase I've heard quite often is everything your heart desires. What did we just learn about the heart? evil. So that's not what this is saying. This doesn't mean that if you've put your faith and trust in God, you can pray to God and he's going to give you every single thing that you've ever asked for, that you've ever wanted. That's not what that means. You need to know that God does answer prayer, but the way this works is, is it's a process called sanctification. If you've never heard that word before, that's a really big theological word that means as you pursue Jesus, your character becomes more like God's. That's what that means. And as you do that over time, as that process works in your life, you begin to live in obedience to the word of God. And as that process continues to play out, here's what happens. The desires of your heart, since God is the only one that can truly know your heart, the desires of your heart begin to conform to the things that God wants for your life. Not just the things that'll make you happy, not just the things that'll make you feel good in the moment, but to the things that God actually desires for you. When you live in obedience to God because of your love for him and, and the love he gives you for others, you can have a boldness in approaching him through prayer, not because of how righteous or holy you are or because you have a whole list of things that you want, but because of how righteous and holy God is. You can come before him and know that your prayers will be answered. Now, let me be clear. I've heard this said often. God answers prayers in three ways. His answer is yes, his answer is no, and his answer is not yet. So when you come before God and you bring him your prayers in boldness and confidence, you need to understand he will answer. He just may not answer the way you're hoping he does. But he does answer. And when we see our obedience to God play out in our lives, and when we are able to show the love of God to other people that are in our lives, we can know that we have assurance of our salvation. So we can come boldly before God. And we can ask those prayers. We can send those prayers with our mouth to him, with our head to him. We can talk to him and knowing that he's going to answer. May not be the answer that we want. It may not be in the time that we want. But he does answer prayer when you belong to him. And there's a third thing that we see in this passage. The third benefit of loving others the way that God calls us to love others is you know that you are never alone. Look at what it says in verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. 
just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Verse 23 right there, it actually echoes the words of Jesus back in the book of Mark chapter 12 when the the religious leaders are coming to Jesus and they're trying to trip him up and they're saying, hey, all these commandments exist. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And this is how Jesus answers them. In Mark 12, verse 29, Jesus says, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We've talked about that before, sums it up in love God and love others. That is what God has called us to do as disciples of Jesus each and every day. And when you decide to live this way by loving God and loving others, living in obedience to the word of God in your life, this is evidence of your salvation and it's proof that the Holy Spirit lives within you. Because scripture tells us the moment that you experience salvation, the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Holy Spirit is what helps you to understand the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is what helps you to live obediently to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is what helps you share that love of God with other people around you. You are never alone, no matter what happens, no matter how crazy things get in your life. No matter what other people say or do, you can know with 100% certainty that you are never alone. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you know you have the love of God in your life. And that love grows you and that love changes you. And eventually that love has to flow out of you to other people. The way that God loves you is the way that you are called to love others. And that love can reassure you that you belong to God, that God hears you when you talk to him, and that you are not by yourself. Here's what that means tonight. You don't have to doubt your salvation. Let that sink in for a second. You don't have to doubt your salvation. Because if you've been saved by Jesus... Scripture tells us you live obediently to his word and you love others the way that God loves others. Take a moment and look at your life. Are you doing those two things? Are you living obediently and are you showing the love of God to other people? Doesn't mean you get it right every time. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. But if you're doing those things, Scripture says you can know that you belong to God and you can know that God will hear you when you come before Him. And you can know that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. All because you live obediently to God's Word and you love others the way that God loves them. Are you doing those two things tonight? Because when you are, you'll experience those things and you'll know that you belong to God and you'll know that you can do anything he has called you to do. Are you living obediently? Are you loving others the way God loves them? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can come together. 
God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your love. God, I pray right now for every single one of us in this room, Lord. Help us to live obediently to you. Help us, if we've put our faith and trust in you, God, to, to take the love that we know that you lavish, that you pour out, that you cover our lives in, and show it to other people. God, help us to be who you've called us to be. Help us to know that we belong to you. Help us to know that we are never alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.